Welcome to the Outpost Bible Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Alex Rodriguez. The Outpost Bible Church seeks to see men and women delivered by Christ, discipled in Christ, and deployed for Christ in His kingdom. Our values are to be Christ-centered, gospel-driven, scripturally grounded, prayerfully dependent, and mission-focused. Here, you will be able to find all of our Sunday morning and Sunday evening sermons. God bless. Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, our Lord, our Savior, King Jesus. And this morning, as we look into your holy word, we look and we marvel that God became man. We ask here and now on this Christmas Eve that you would grab hold of our hearts and that you incline them heavenward. Lord, there's so much busyness around this time of year. Gifts to be wrapped, plans to be made, meals being prepared, Lord, family and some of the perhaps stresses that accompany that. We ask, Lord, that you would remove all the noise, drown it out, that we would be heart and mind focused on you. As we look into your word, open our eyes that we would see the glory of the birth of Christ and what it means in your holy word. Grab hold of our hearts collectively and unite them to both treasure your name and fear it. And as we look at the birth of King Jesus, would we be satisfied with your everlasting love toward your people? Would you lead us into truth? Would you enlarge in our capacity to worship you in spirit and truth? And may we leave this Lord's Day morning truly rejoicing that unto us a Savior is born. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now Christmas is a time of joy for Christians. Because we celebrate the reality that the Son of God took upon flesh, was born in Bethlehem. We see it all around us. Nativity sets in front lawns. Children having musicals in schools and in churches. Cherished hymns are sung. Even recently in Times Square this year, all the billboards went black for a moment, and all of Times Square lit up with the true Christmas story with pictures in Scripture center stage. Some families even make birthday cakes to celebrate the birth of Christ. It is a wonderful, wonderful time. Perhaps you have traditions in your home that you keep each year in remembrance of the fact that unto us a Savior is born. And all of those things are good, and all of those things are appropriate. However, in the celebration of it all, something is getting lost in this birth of Christ. The sobering reality, reality of it all is getting lost. There is a dark cloud behind Christmas, as much as there's a shining light, because the birth of Christ is actually a declaration of war. I'm not sure if you've ever considered it that. There's a very serious note to Christmas, because that baby lying in the manger there, as beautiful and cute as a picture as that is, is the one that was promised to be the dragon slayer. Listen to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Three chapters into the Bible, we are being told of a coming conflict of one who will be born in the fullness of time and will crush the serpent who tempted Eve to sin. And when that offspring of Eve would be born, an enormous conflict, a showdown begins. A showdown between the Savior and Satan. A showdown between light and darkness. A showdown between the King of Heaven and the ruler of this world, that old dragon called Satan. So Christmas is beautiful. Christmas is to be celebrated, but not because of the hallmark sentimentality of it all. Not because of the eggnog and the matching pajamas and the gifts. Christmas is to be celebrated because at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, war was declared upon Satan. Victory is guaranteed. And he would crush the head of the serpent about 33 years later. So we're going to see this morning, and I know it's an unconventional Christmas message, is that Christmas, if you were taking notes, the big idea, Christmas is about the warrior King Jesus being born to redeem his people and crush the serpent. Christmas is about the warrior King Jesus being born to redeem his people and crush the serpent. As we walk through the Word, we're going to look at various passages, all stemming from that passage in Luke we read. And we're, going to, we're going to look at the birth, we're going to look at the battle, and we're going to look at the blessing that comes out of it. So our first point, the birth of Jesus. Now, as we talk about the birth of Christ and how his his being born in the fullness of time is the declaration of war. We need to understand some things about his birth that were prophesied in the Old Testament. Because what is it that makes the birth of this little baby so important? So if you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at only three prophecies, though there are many more. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, often very well-known Christmas passages, reads, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will accomplish this. Here's this amazing prophecy. That in time one will be born, and the one that will be born is a coming ruler, and he will rule over all governments and all peoples. It's speaking of what this child will 
grow into and achieve. The government will rest on his shoulders. He's above all of it. Is that not what our world needs right now? With wars and rumors of wars and corrupt governments and compromised officials, do we not need a ruler, a perfect ruler? Do we not need Christ to reign over them and for all of them to submit to his lordship? And this ruler, it says, will be a wonderful counselor. He will be filled with wisdom unlike anything anyone has ever known because he will be filled with the wisdom of God. For he is God. That phrase, mighty God, we see it throughout scriptures. We see it in Deuteronomy 10, 17. We see it in Jeremiah 32, 18. That title, mighty God, is saying this coming child who will be born, who all governments will recognize and submit under, he will be God himself. So even here we're seeing echoes of the fact, wait a minute, he's a fully born human child, and yet he's mighty God. Full of wisdom. Eternal Father. Let me clear up that. Just some confusion sometimes there. Within the Trinity, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is not speaking of that kind of Trinitarian relationship. When it says eternal Father here, because he is a ruler, as we were seeing, he will be one who will protect, who will provide, who will nurture as a father does for his children. He is the Prince of Peace because he will bring peace to earth. Truly. He will come from the line of David, which David was promised that there will be one that will come who will sit on the throne forever from your family. His peace will never end. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. And the zeal of God Almighty will be the one who accomplished this. This is what we're being told will happen in time. That the Messiah will come and this is what he will accomplish and this is who he will be. <clears throat> but we're told more about this coming child. If you turn two chapters prior and you go to Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 7, we're told something of his birth. Verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. We'll take more time to look at this here momentarily. But again, where he's a supernatural birth, this child will be free from the sin of Adam. It will be a supernatural doing of God. And look at the name, Emmanuel, God with us. Again, this is no normal human baby. He will be both God and man. And during the same time of Isaiah, there was another prophet. And that prophet's name was Micah. So if you were to turn to the book of Micah, after the book of Jonah, if you have the Bible song in your head playing. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we're told specifically where this child will come from. 
But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from everlasting, from the ancient days. So this child will be born of a virgin. This child will come from the city of David, which, uh, from, which is Bethlehem. He will be a ruler. He will bring wisdom, divine wisdom. He will be both God and man. He will protect, provide, sustain. He will bring true and lasting peace. This was the hope of Israel. This is the hope of all men. And these prophecies were written about 700 years before the birth of Christ. So what happens 700 years later? Jesus is born. We read of that in Luke 2. One of the beautiful things is to compare Scripture with Scripture. So that little baby who's sitting in a manger, or laying in a manger, just born in obscurity that nobody in the world really notices or is taken notice of, is more than a baby. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You ever marvel at that? Little baby, maybe seven pounds, wrapped in these cloths, laying in a manger because there was no guest room available. Animals around. Nobody in town really knows what's happening. Everybody's preparing for different things. And laying there as young Mary in her her teens looks at that child, is the fullness of God. The fullness of deity, the Savior of the world, the light of the world, the Lamb of God, the one who will grow, live, and be crucified, the one who will heal the blind, the one who will raise the dead, the one who will make multiply fish and loaves, the one who will walk on water, the one who will cast out demons, is laying there, perhaps in seven pounds and four ounces of pure babiness. And yet the fullness of deity is within him, fully God. He became a man. God the Son took upon flesh and he became truly human while remaining truly God. That's amazing. That's powerful. That's that's what we're remembering tomorrow morning. He didn't cease to be God. He didn't put some of his godness away and say, I'm only going to be 80% God now. No, fully God, fully man, laying in a manger, 
as a little child who must depend upon his mother for protection, for food, who must learn to walk, who's going to get runny noses, who must learn to speak, and yet the Savior of the world right there. It's the incarnation is what that's called. And those prophecies we read about, they start getting, they're fulfilled now. In Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 35, <clears throat> the angel appears to Mary, and he tells her, starting in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive a son in your womb, and you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. But, the, but Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. It happened. What was said in Isaiah 7 happened. And he's, look where he's born. He's born in Bethlehem. What was said in Micah 5.2 happened. And he will grow and fulfill what Isaiah 9 that we read said he will do. So this birth is supernatural. It's prophecy fulfilling. It's unlike any birth in history. Sometimes people ask, why do you trust the Bible? Look at that. Because the Bible delivers on what it said it's going to deliver on. 700 years before he was born, this said it would take place. Men can create some, can devise some pretty amazing plans, but nobody's going to be able to plan that from the womb. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the God-man. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem by a virgin, and he lays in a manger. You can trust the word of God. There were over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his life. These were just three. So that's the birth, and we need to understand that birth because it was the hope, the expectation of the Jewish people. So now he's born, and this brings us to our second point, the battle. Now, most of us wouldn't think of the birth of a child as the beginning of a battle, but again, we're seeing already he is no normal child. We read that passage in Luke, and at the end of Luke chapter, uh, verse 14, we see the angels singing a song, but there's something that our English translations often miss. Verse 13 says, And the heavenly host praising God. But that word host in verse 13 is a military term. It's the Greek word stratia, which means army. So it could be, should read, at a heavenly army praising God and saying, well, God, why did you send the choir? Why did you send the army? I was in the army. We don't sing all that great. There's purpose here. There's an army declared singing praises this great multitude of, of angelic soldiers 
stands before the shepherds and they sing, and they're singing a song of victory, singing a song of triumph that the warrior king who will slay the dragon and save people from their sins has been born. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. We're going to unpack that. And her final point, the blessing. But I want you to see there is an army singing at the birth of Christ. And it's fitting because he is the king. He leads an army, as we'll see. He leads legions upon legions. A battle is ensuing. Listen, go to Revelation chapter 12 and look at how the birth of Christ is spoken of in Revelation 12. Revelation 12, verses 1 through 6. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and, a, under, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child and cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them into the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had place prepared before God, so that she would be nourished for 1,260 days. At the birth of Christ, do you see the devil seeks to devour, to destroy this little baby? And we see that begin to happen. Because Herod was in charge during that time. And when the wise men came, they went to a palace first, because that's where you would expect a king to be born. And when Herod catches news that this one is to be born, Herod seeks to do the work of the serpent, and he seeks to destroy this child. If you were to turn to Matthew chapter 2, you hear of what Herod in his sinfulness sought to do. Start at verse 8. And he sent, to Beth he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and when you found him, report to me, so that I too may come to worship him. Now after hearing the king, they went far away. They went their way, and behold, the star which was seen in the east was going on before them until they stood over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into my house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell to the ground, and they worshipped him, opening their treasures. They presented him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi departed from their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and departed for Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod in order that what had been spoken of by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. 
Then Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, and he became very enraged, and he sent and slew all male children who were in Bethlehem and all his vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had carefully determined from the Magi. This is the reality of what surrounds Christmas. In that village area, there might have been 30 children, 30 young boys, under the age of two, slaughtered. Because from the very birth of Christ, there is a war ensuing. In Luke chapter 4, which we've looked at a few months back, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil. It's a showdown. The devil attacks. In Mark chapter 5, we see a conflict with demonic armies. When he seeks to cast them out, the demon refers to himself as legion, for we are many. Military terms. And if we were to look at Matthew chapter 26... Verse 53, Jesus is betrayed in the garden. Peter pulls his sword trying to defend. Verse 52 says, Then Jesus said to him, Put away your sword, put your sword back into its place, and all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? There's a conflict here. No, Jesus says, I don't need the 12. This isn't how this battle's fought. I don't need backup. I don't need legions of angels. This is one I have to battle one-on-one. Me and the dragon alone in the ring. Church, I want us to see that surrounding the birth of Christ and through the life of Christ, there is truly a war going on. Which would make sense. Look at how our world, our society, seeks to get rid of Christmas. It's part of the spiritual battle that continues. That child in the manger, who is the hope of the world, who is life, who is salvation, make no mistake about it, from the beginning, the Satan and the world never wanted him born. Because he's going to try to, he's going to overthrow it all. Christmas is beautiful, but it's a battle. Christmas is a time to ask this question Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to be a cute ornament piece on your Christmas shelf. The most common answer people will give as to why Jesus came, is to forgive sin and offer eternal life. And that is a glorious truth, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Amen. But how does he do that? How does Jesus bring about the forgiveness of sins? How does Jesus come about being to offer eternal life? At the heart of that, is by destroying the, the devil and his works. 
That is what God's word declares to us. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partake of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus came. Jesus took upon flesh. Jesus will grow to render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. That is our hope. You have to ask yourself, what is it you're celebrating on Christmas? Why are you singing songs beautifully, loudly, why does it matter so much to you to think of that sweet little baby in the manger? Why do you like little drummer boy? Why does that matter? Is it because it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside? Or is it because you realize and you know at the core of your being, he was born and he died so I could be forgiven, I can be set free, death is no more, it has lost its thing, the devil has been defeated, his works are being destroyed, and me and all who have trusted him will be in glory. Is that why Christmas means so much to you? Or is it because you have a hallmark version of Jesus? Listen to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The Son of God was manifested for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he was born. We saw it in Genesis 3. One is going to be born who's going to crush your head, who's going to destroy you. You'll wound him, but he'll kill you. That's at the heart of Christmas. We all want the feel-good message, I know. We all want to just picture this cute little baby and this shining star and these gifts. But something supernatural, something very important happened at that birth. The first shot of war was, was fired. The reason it's good news is because we know he wins. Listen to how Jesus secured this victory. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, listen. We'll start at verse 14. Speaking of the work of Christ, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he also has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them in him. Sometimes we have a very pessimistic outlook. We somehow think Satan is more powerful than he is. We think that he's really giving Jesus a run for his money. We know Jesus wins, but we functionally act like, ah, I don't know, maybe he'll pull something out. But we see here, he disarmed. 
These two verses speak about the powerful and victorious work that, the, that King Jesus accomplished on the cross. As Jesus hung upon the cross, he drank the full cup of the wrath of God against sin. He paid the debt of sin for all those who had trusted him. He disarmed Satan. He rendered him powerless. And what it means by that is this, and this is again why Christmas is so beautiful and so important for those who have trusted in Jesus. Because this is what that baby in the manger will do. He, when he disarmed Satan, it means Satan's power to hold sinners to the debt of their sins is no more. He disarmed Satan's ability, Satan's power to hold you in the debt of your sins. He broke the shackles off. There's no, nothing left. Satan can no longer hold sinners accountable to the debt of their sins and trespasses. You're free. And with that, the rulers and the authorities, which is speaking of this, that spiritual host, they're disarmed. Think of that picture. Think of this, you are being held by this horrible, tyrannical army, and they are armed to the teeth. You know you can't mount a rebellion. And then in the blink of an eye, one solitary man comes and disarms them all. And in his disarming them all, you have been made free. Is that not beautiful? Is that not powerful? And that's the baby in the manger. That's who he will grow up to become and be. That's who he is, and that's what he'll do in the fullness of time. The baby in the manger that we celebrate today and tomorrow is the one that has disarmed and triumphed over Satan and his army. In the manger, war was declared, and on the cross, victory was won. See, there is no Christmas without Easter, and there is no Easter without Christmas. So we can't celebrate the birth of Christ without simultaneously knowing that he will hang on the cross to accomplish his redemptive work. This is the part of Christmas we don't talk of much. But it's so important, church. Christmas is beautiful. Christmas is powerful. But Christmas is a battle. If you don't think so, Go to Target, go to Walmart, go to Meyer today. Go up to somebody and say, you know Jesus, is, we celebrate Jesus' birth tomorrow and came to take away the sins of the world? Go up to random people, start having that conversation. I'm sure you'll be greeted with warm hugs and, right? Do you know Jesus as Savior, the one who was born? No, the conflict is here now. How much more the spiritual conflict that Christ ensued upon his birth. From the very beginning, Herod so hated the birth of the Messiah that he killed little boys under two. The demons came out in legions. This is why Christmas matters. Because the Savior is born and the Savior secures salvation through this cosmic battle. And in his victory, in his work, Beginning at his birth, it culminates in our third point, the blessing. There is an immense blessing. That's the second half of, the, of verse 14 in Luke 2. 
We looked at that song. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Notice this angelic army that is singing. The first thing they say, the first thing they sing of is giving praise to God. Thank you, God. Glory to you because you alone are the one who could accomplish this. You alone are the one who could do this. Men upon men upon men could never free man from sin. So glory to you, God, in the highest of heavens. We praise you. We thank you for what you have done and what you are going to do through this child who lays in the manger, who will grow into the warrior king that will slay the dragon and redeem your people. That's what they're singing of. And then he says, on earth, peace among men with whom he's well pleased. Now here's the important part of Christmas. Christmas is only good news if you've come to Christ by faith. If you don't have Jesus as Savior, Christmas is nothing more than idolatry. Where you get to sit there and fill your heart with all the materialism that you can fancy or afford. Man, I just got to give all those gifts under the tree to my little one so I don't know how great I am as a parent. Oh, I hope my spouse got me the perfect gift. Oh, I didn't get what I thought. They must not love me that. That's all Christmas is. It's garbage. Christmas is garbage if you don't have Jesus. All Christmas is is debt if you don't have Jesus. Or we'll pervert who St. Nicholas was in church history and we'll just make him this jolly fat man who's keeping eyes on you and is going to reward you based on your behavior. Hello, welcome to works-based salvation. Christmas doesn't matter if you don't have Jesus. You don't have peace with God if you don't have Jesus. So when the angels say here, peace on earth among men, they're talking about the faith, the peace that comes by faith, by resting in the life, death, burial, and resurrection. It is peace, peace with God through repentance. We could, if we were going to restate maybe this statement, glory to God in the highest, those who have received the sovereign saving grace of God merely because of his good pleasure can now have peace with him by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's the heart of the gospel that God in his grace gives peace to rebel sinners through faith in his Son. The favor of God rests only on those who have repented, believed, trusted in Christ. God giving peace to men brings glory to God. It all belongs to him to glory. The true gift of Christmas that we should unwrap every Christmas, but we should unwrap every day, is that Christ was born to save sinners. That God the Father, through faith in the God the Son, has bestowed his loving, saving, sovereign, sin-forgiving grace and mercy to those who have trusted and follow Christ through the regenerating work of God the Holy Spirit. This is the gift that's offered this morning to all of you who perhaps are not followers of Christ. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. You've heard the Christmas story a million times. I know, I know. Born in a manger, 
Just let me let you know, just because you know the Christmas story doesn't mean you know the Christ of Christmas. There'll be plenty of biblically knowledgeable people in hell. You need to know Christ savingly. You need to trust in him. That is the gift. There is a beautiful Christmas gift standing right before you, bow and all for you to open. The gift of salvation through Christ alone. But that gift is only opened if you'll turn from your sin and turn by faith to Jesus to have peace with God. That gift is only yours if you look to the baby in the manger, the baby who will grow and live the perfect life you never could. If you look to the baby in the manger that always perfectly did the will of God the Father. If you look to the baby in the manger who fulfilled the law of God on your behalf. If you look to the baby in the manger who will grow and give his life as a ransom for many. If you will look to the baby in the manger who will and has destroyed the works of the devil. If you look to the baby in the manger, the Lord Jesus Christ, trust and believe in him and be saved. That's how that gift is opened. That's what's offered to you. And for those of us here this morning who have come and repented and believed in Jesus, we get to open that gift every day. We don't need another. We don't need each Christmas to level up. We have the best gift now, here, always. We're reading Narnia as a family at home. And there's a common refrain in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. As Narnia stands under the darkness and, and rule and tyranny of the white witch Jadis, it says, always winter, never Christmas. Narnia is without hope. The world we live in is always winter and never Christmas for those who do not have Christ. And everybody in Narnia is miserable. They want Christmas. Everybody in this world, you know if you don't have Christ, you're miserable because you want Christmas. Because whether you know it or not, whether you admit it or not, your heart is restless until it rests in Christ, who is the purpose of Christmas. I beg you to receive him here and now by faith. I beg you to see that his blood was shed for you. Church, Christmas is not about sitting around feeling all warm and fuzzy with sentimental hallmark love bouncing off the walls with some cheap version of God loves you. Christmas is a loud, bold, beautiful proclamation that the baby who lies in the manger is the divine warrior king who in the fullness of time was born to crush the head of the serpent, to redeem the people of God from the power of Satan so that the penalty of sin would be no more. And because of what Jesus Christ has done for all who have trusted in him, you can have confidence that he will strengthen you that he will sustain you, that he will be with you, that he will guide you, that he will sanctify you, that he will equip you, that, you, that he will be your God and you will be his people forevermore. That's the promise of Christmas. But that's who the baby in the manger is. And so we celebrate that he's born because we say redemption lies there. And I have a place in God's family because God the Son took upon flesh 
in the most humble of means, lived a perfect life, in the fullness of time went to the cross, took the wrath of God against sin on my behalf, was buried, was raised, and is ruling and reigning as king. So many of the Christmas songs we sing of talk have this, this kingship of Christ to them. Because those men and women who wrote those hymns knew something that we have lost in our day. And that is that Christmas is about Christ the King. That manger is a throne. And it's a beautiful one. And we all have a responsibility to bow before that manger as a throne. Submit, love, cherish, follow, and obey Jesus Christ as Lord. So let me close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Quote, Infinite and infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, king of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas, end quote. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you now in the name of your Son, our Lord, our Savior, our King, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We thank you that for those here this morning who have repented and trusted in you, we don't live in a world where it's always winter and never Christmas, but we live in a world where it's always Christmas. Because every day we have the joy and the privilege of embracing by faith the gift that is life in Christ. This Christmas, Lord, focus our hearts, focus our minds, focus our affections on what really matters, which is the king in the manger. Give us the boldness to speak of the truth of Christmas to family who perhaps doesn't know you. Father, we pray that you would in your kindness, save a multitude in our families and friends who do not know you. May we enjoy the family, may we enjoy the meals, the gifts, the festivities, Lord, but I pray, I beg that you would guard our hearts from the idolatry of it all. That those gifts may be good, but Jesus is always better. May we prize the creator and not the creation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for stooping down from heaven, taking upon flesh, truly God, truly man, living as one of us in every, way, in every way to secure a people for yourself in all eternity. Thank you for Christmas. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.